I'm from a single parent family. My dad died when I was six years old. So growing up for me, it was just me and my mum. My childhood had no real religious influences. My mum was quite neutral about God, but I always felt that there was something more. I guess it was at school assemblies where I was introduced to the concept of God. And I can remember how intrigued I was that this entity that created everything wanted to be called Father. It felt to me that I was being offered a relationship that I'd missed out on. As a young adult, I developed a need to explore this in more detail. To cut a long story short, I eventually came across the Christadelphians and everything they said to me made sense. And so I got baptised at the age of 22 and I was so excited. I finally got to begin my relationship with God as my father. I remember not long after I was baptised, someone gave a Bible talk that went on the lines of, you must fear God because you'll be held accountable for all your actions when the kingdom comes. And it will be then when you find out if you're good enough. And I have to be honest that this concept bothered me for a very long time. It felt like that this contradicted what I'd come to understand. And it made me pose a challenging question. Would I ever be good enough? I looked around me and I saw people who were obviously better than me. So did this mean that they were loved more than me? I worried. Would God turn his back on me? And my heart felt sick at this thought. I'd spent so long wondering about God and wanting to know him. And to be told I might not be good enough and that the relationship I needed might be unattainable was paralyzing. There are many verses that seem to back this up. For example, we're told in Hebrews 10 verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Compare this to Deuteronomy 6.13. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve and by his name you shall swear. And 2 Corinthians 5.11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God. And I hope it is known also to your conscience. It's easy to be persuaded by the argument that we need to fear God to know him. So does this logic follow that we should be in constant fear of God? To use the words of Solomon in Ecclesiastes 12.13, Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, with every secret thing, whether good or evil. I began to find the whole thing terrifying. And I began to wonder, what's the point? I think figuratively I took a breath and I asked myself, is this the relationship that God wants with me? One of fear, one of potential failure. So I began to explore because the other option 
was to walk away. Now, I'm a dad and a husband. My kids are 16, 17 and 20 and I've been married for 26 years. God has given me a family and the relationships within our family over the years have developed and grown into something special, God-given. Sometimes we've got it wrong. Sometimes we've got it right. But what's clear to me is that my family is based on an ongoing, active, two-way relationship that is built on love. It started before my children were ever born and it's carried on through their individual lives into their lives now as young adults. And we love our children on a level that we couldn't have imagined possible before we had them. So surely the relationships developed within the family are echoes of a potential relationship with our God. He is our father and we are his children and our lives are lived and we grow as we walk to the kingdom. It's easy to be persuaded by the argument that we need to fear God to have a relationship with him. But let's consider what kind of relationship does God really want with us, his children? Would I want my children's love for me to be based on fear? Do I want my kids to behave in an acceptable way because they are scared of me? Absolutely not. I'll be honest, there are times when I have got angry and I've shouted, but afterwards I've just felt wretched and sorry. Let's take it to another level. If you saw a child who in the presence of their parent displayed behaviour that suggested they feared their parents, what would you think? How would you react? I suggest to you that you'd be concerned that this relationship was abusive and you'd be concerned for the safety of the child to the point where you may feel a need to report your concerns. So surely if God sees us as his children, do you think our father wants a relationship with this abusive dynamic? To try and answer my dilemma, I look to the first use of the word fear in the context of God. And we find that it's God speaking to a man of faith who appears in Hebrews 11, the faith chapter. And it's Genesis 15 verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. It's interesting, isn't it? The first time God uses the word fear in relation to himself, he says, fear not. And why doesn't Abram, this man of faith, need to fear? Because God himself is there offering salvation and protection. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So surely this becomes a standard for us. Rather than fear, fear not. 
Because the first mention of the word fear, God is saying to a faithful man, fear not. If we seek for context in this scene in Genesis 15, we see something incredible. And it's in Genesis 14, verse 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemy into your hands. To paraphrase Genesis 14, Abram wins a battle against several groups of kingdoms of men with just 318 men, against the odds, humanly speaking. But he wins because God delivered them to him. In essence, he saves Abram's house. And the kings offer Abram the spoils of the battle, but he turns them down. And immediately after this battle, Abram meets a king of peace, who is also a high priest. He shares bread and wine with him. Then after this, he is told by God himself, fear not. And I think there is a parallel that we can draw here for ourselves. You see, we live our lives in a battle, surrounded by a world that serves itself, offering us its spoils, drawing us in. But we have a father who wants us. So by God's grace, we survive the battle on a daily basis. Sometimes we get more bruised and battered than others, but that's okay. Because we've been delivered out of certain death because of God's love. A love so deep, the Father provides a king priest for us, Jesus. Who provides bread and wine for us. And together we walk with the plan and purpose of God before us. And so there's no need to fear our Father. We are considered sons and daughters of God. A God who called us out of the world and offers us salvation through his Son. 1 John 3 verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Those verses are quite clear to me. Right now, we are the children of God. And this is a relationship based on love, not fear. We are worthy of that love. That's what beloved means. We are worthy of that love now. 1 John 4, 16. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us. 
so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. These verses in 1 John 4 answered all my questions. For me, this was a pivotal discovery. The plan and purpose of God is not built on fear. In fact, God's love drives out fear. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts fear out. The essence of God is not one of fear. God is love. And this, this is the God who wants us to call him Father. And love is perfected in us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Those are in the verses that we've just read together. So if we walk in love, this two-way relationship casts out fear. And the wonderful thing is, is that this love first came from God to us. And so we love because he first loved us. You see, we've been given a walk with its ups and downs. And the reason is so that we can grow closer to God, closer to our Father. And this is how love is perfected. Life happens and we learn from our experiences. And this learning brings us into a closer relationship with God. As a parent, I am far from perfect, but I'm doing my best. We have tried to develop a relationship with our children where they can talk to us about anything and not feel that they'll be rebuked or feel like they've disappointed us. Surely that's the pattern. When I approach God in prayer, is there anything I can't discuss? As a child of God, I try, I try to do my best, but I don't always succeed. But I know that my father is there, ready to listen. As a parent, is there anything I can't forgive? Is there anything I'm not willing to forgive? There's the echo again. If my child is sorry, then they are forgiven, as if it never happened. I am a child of God. In Psalm 139 verse 14, it says, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God loves me. What can I do in return? All I can do is marvel that the creator of the universe called me and love him back. 
There is nothing I can do to earn my father's love. It's already been given. All I can do is be thankful. Ephesians 2 verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Is there anything I wouldn't do for my children? No. Is there anything that they could do to earn more love? No. But despite that, my love grows as they live their lives. My love for my children is limitless because they are my children. And I, as their father, would do anything for them. Surely, that's how God sees us. Romans 5, verse 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Isn't that incredible? God let his son die for us to show us how much he loved us. And through the blood of Jesus, we've been forgiven of everything. We are innocent. And if we are innocent, that cannot be reversed. Can you imagine the turmoil in my family if I forgave one of my children only to change my mind? That would undo all the trust my children have in me. I chose to be baptised and now I am a child of God. And this created a battle in my mind. Flesh versus spirit. I know how I should be, but there are times when I take my eye off God. Does that mean I fail? In Romans 7 verses 13 to 23, Paul described the ongoing struggle of a child of God against sin. I am of the flesh, sold under sin, he says in verse 14. At the end of the chapter, he cries out in frustration that he is a wretched man and he asks, who will deliver him? And this could be seen as a man who is despairing and has lost. But of course, Paul is building to a point. He thanks God through Jesus that he has been saved through faith. And he ends the chapter with, I myself serve the law of God with my mind. But with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. I believe that all who follow God through Jesus share in this same battle. And if that is the case, the next verses in chapter 8 apply to us also. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, 
by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. When I first saw Romans 8 and verse 1, I mean, really saw it. I felt like my eyes had been opened. I am alive in Jesus' name and I've been set free by my Father. And although I'm far from perfect, by God's grace I'm able to walk after the Spirit, but still battle with my flesh, with my humanity. And because of the battle, verse 9 applies to me and you. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. And if we battle, then he is our father. And we are his children. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For he did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We began with the first occurrence of fear not. So let's finish with the last. Revelation 1. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. When I get to stand before Jesus, I will fall to my knees and I will tremble. Not because I'm scared, but rather because this man died. For me. Imagine being able to see Jesus face to face. I often wonder what I will say, but more importantly, what he will say. He knows me after all. But I know one thing in his grace. He will not condemn me or punish me or tell me that I'm unworthy of the kingdom. He will reach out his hand to mine and say, fear not. Mm -hmm.